Well, I hope as we read this, th these few verses, we'll, we'll, we'll see that, as we just sung, our God is, is an awesome God indeed in his dealings with, with Jonah. But also, I hope we'll, we'll be able to see uh, the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour. So I'll start reading at, at verse 17 of chapter 1 of Jonah. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God and said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me, and all your waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head, to the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me forever, but you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah on to the dry land. I need you to start with verse 17 of, of, of chapter 1. Just, just we have to set the scene, the context of, of chapter 2. Uh, our family, my family, have, have, been cl have had close ties for a long time with, with a family that has spent the last 10, maybe 10 or 11 years. Um, living and working about 30, 40 miles from Nineveh, where Jonah was sent to by the Lord. They were there to preach the gospel, to tell the locals of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they, they, were, they had work to do, because you can't really go to a place like Iraq and, and just preach the gospel. So they had jobs to do as well. But, of course, they get to know the local people and they will seek every opportunity to speak of our Saviour. And they will tell us that, that locals accept this story completely as history. It's part of their history, where they live. Um, it, it's also, of course, mainly, of course, because it's in their Quran. But our friend will tell us that it will tell them, as he was speaking to me, he said... You can only get the truth of the history from the Bible. And he would say this to the locals, and they would be happy for him to read it. He would read to them. It would be an opportunity uh, because of their knowledge of Jonah, because this is really history. We heard last week, this is really history. This is not just a good story. I know children know the story, and it's wonderful to hear of, of Jonah in, in the whale, etc. But this is actual history. And last week we saw how Jonah, in his attempts to flee from the Lord, when he was asked to go and preach to Nineveh, 
You would think, I don't know what you think, you put yourself in Jonah's place, wouldn't you think, being a prophet, he would know full well it wouldn't end well. It's, it's not going to end well, is it? You can't rebel against your master, the one that sends you, who it happens to be, in his case, the Lord God. And it'll end well. Well, of course, it didn't end well. So he goes down to Joppa, and he, then he goes down into the ship's hold, and then he goes down into the depths of the sea. It's a wonderful illustration that disobedience is always a downward path. Disobedience will always take you down, not up. It, it, is, a, it is a downward path. Solomon writes in his Proverbs, in chapter 15, stern discipline awaits him who leaves the path. Stern discipline awaits him who leaves the path. And this is, this is obviously the path that um, Jonah has taken. Now maybe, I don't know, maybe you sit here, uh, a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I, tr I trust that you do. I wish that all of you did. Um, but the Lord has called you to do something or uh, on his behalf or, or he's... Um, told you to leave that particular sin but in your mind it's just a step too far and it's just it's just that little bit beyond what you the, where you really want to go so in your mind at least you may, may not physically run like like Jonah did but in your mind you run or you hide but chapter one has shown us surely that that's impossible it's just not possible the Lord said to Jeremiah, another prophet that lived in a very difficult time and had a very difficult job to do. But the Lord said to Jeremiah, Cannot a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord. Or you think, maybe you know better, Psalm, the Psalms of David, Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up into the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, like Jonah did, you are there. Behold, you are there, says, the, uh, says David. Maybe you sit here. And you've, you've, many times you've sat here. Uh, although you're not a believer. You, you, you've, come in, you've come regularly, but you're not a believer. But you do hear the Lord calling you to repent believe as we've just been uh, hearing uh, from from Steve with the children you do hear you do hear him calling you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to repent and trust in him but maybe with you there's something you need to hold on to you don't want to let go and you know full well again as, as, as Stephen said uh, to the children a, a few minutes ago um, if he, Jesus becomes your saviour, he will be your Lord. And you'll bow the knee. Are you, but you're not ready for that. So you hide or so you run, uh, in your mind at least. But there's a, there's a, a chilling verse in, the, in these verses that we read in, in, in chapter 2, verse, verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. It's a wonderful verse in a way, but it's a chilling verse, isn't it? If you'll cling to whatever it is that keeps you from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, 
you forfeit the grace that could be yours. And there's nothing like the grace of our God. So whatever your condition, I hope we can see as we go through chapter 2, whatever your condition, your believer or unbeliever, I trust that we'll see how God, our gracious God, deals with his servant who's running away. Deals with his servant who's on the run. And trust it will be a, a, a blessing, a blessing to, to our own souls. Whatever your condition, I say. Because to learn this, to learn the lessons of chapter 2, to learn of our Lord is, is, is to grow in awe and wonder and love of him. If you learn of him, this is what will happen as, as you learn. So, so the question is, what, what do verses uh, 17 of chapter 1 through to verse 10 of chapter 2 <coughs> teach us about God? That's the issue. What do we learn about God when we come, when we come to his word? So we read, start off, um, verse 17 of chapter 1. The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now, I'll leave the significance of the three days and three nights till later. I think it fits better. So as we read this particular verse, the key word here is provided. This is God's work. We're reading about what God did. Uh, that's what the whole chapter's about. Concentrate our minds on the Lord God himself. And so the key word is provided. Now, as it was... It was the Lord who provided the storm when Jonah was on the run. It was the Lord who caused the sailors to throw him overboard into the sea. And so it was the Lord now who provides a fish to swallow him. And he, like all of us, need to know that all creation, all events, everything that takes place, small events, large and significant events, they're all under the control of the Lord our God. Our God is sovereign. He is the Lord. He rules in every situation. He has planned the whole of history, uh, including uh, the events that Jonah <coughs> is to go through. So as we come to Jonah's prayer, I think, I think it's fair enough to call it a psalm because just like David's psalms and other psalms in Scripture, Jonah's telling us his story as well as praying and worshipping. So, so we get, a, we get a, a tale here, we get a, a Jonah story. So we read in verse 1, as we go through these verses, Jonah prayed, Jonah prayed. At last he did something worthwhile. He was on the run, but now he prays, he prays. Something he wasn't prepared to do in the ship, you remember? Remember when the captain of the ship comes to him and says, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. But there was no sign of Jonah praying then. He was silent. He didn't pray. He admitted it was his fault they were, they were going through this trouble, but he didn't pray. Um, but now, now he, he tells us of his prayer as he sank to the bottom of the sea. And notice it is in the past tense. It starts off from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, and he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. This is something he did. Uh, I haven't got a hymn book. In, in, our, in, in our hymn book, uh, it's, it's quite strange, the number. <laughs> Sorry, numbers, funny, aren't they? It's number 567. It is actually number 567 in our book. 
It's a, and it begins, um, prayer is the soul's sincere desire. It's a tremendous, it's a wonderful description of prayer, each verse of, of, that, of that song. Um, but it has this line, this is the important line for, for thinking of, of Jonah. Prayer is the Christian's vital breath, the Christian's native air. It's what he breathes. It's, it's absolutely vital to us, prayer. We, we, won't go, we won't go anywhere individually or as a church without prayer. It's, it's the very air of heaven. I can remember, I thought that when I was writing, thinking of this, writing this down, I suddenly thought of an illustration. I was at work one day, I was having a heated conversation with a friend, and I was sucking a boiled sweet at the time, and I took a breath, bang, and it went in the back of my throat. I couldn't, I couldn't breathe, I, I couldn't speak, and I was in a real panic. Uh, fortunately, my friend saw the panic on my face and I'm pointing in my mouth. And he gave me a great slap on the back and the squat of the sweet flew out and I could breathe again. And I was thankful, of course, for his, his um, swift action. But I thought, this illustrates a solemn truth. We can't pray while we continue in disobedience. You can say your prayers. I'm not talking about the actual words. You can say your prayers, but until we're ready to do the Lord's will, until our lips will be sealed as far as heaven is concerned, and that's the issue, will heaven hear what you have to say? Not while you're off on the road to, to disobedience. Unconfessed sin, if you like, is like, a, is like that sweet blocking your throat, and it will drastically affect your prayer life and hinder your communion with the Lord Jesus. Sin may be sweet, but it's deadly. That's what we need to, to remember. The first thing we can learn from um, our friend Jonah. Don't wait till the Lord has to deal with you like you with Jonah before you cry to him. Why don't you cry to him now in, in, in your heart? Cry, cry to the Lord Jesus uh, right now. Anyway, jo Jonah continues... He says, you hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. The currents swirled about me, all your waves and breakers swept over me. The wonderful thing about this is that we learn that, that, that no matter what we have done or not done, whatever trouble we have brought upon ourselves, when we're at our absolutely lowest ebb, our deepest depth, if you like, if we cry to the Lord, he will hear us. If, you, if your cry is a cry to the Lord for help, he will hear you. It's, it's, this is the wonderful grace of our God. And in, chap, in verse 2 he says, You answered me from the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. And Jonah, as he, he, as he recalls and describes his trouble, read, I'll read from verses 4 to 6. Then I said... I have been banished from your sight. The waters closed over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head the roots of the, at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. But the real, I think one of the significant things here is we need to note that he's not just in physical trouble. He clearly is. It's hard to imagine what it's like. 
sinking in the sea, sinking, sinking, you're going down, you can't do anything about it. I don't know whether he could swim, but there's a, there's a storm, remember? <laughs> there's been a, a lot of rough sea. Anyway, he's sinking, he's not able to breathe. But there's a, a much more serious problem in verse 4. Then I said, I have been banished from your sight. It's terrible to die. It's terrible to be thrown into the sea. It's terrible to go through the sort of trouble. But there is a much more serious problem here. To be banished from God is the most terrible thing. To be banished from God is the worst possible thing that could ever happen. And he's, and he's realised this. So he is starting to, starting to think a little bit more clearly. I don't know about you, when you read things like this, you think, well, that's a bit rich, isn't it? I mean, this, he, was running from, he was running from the Lord, and when the Lord gives him what he wanted, because now the Lord, he says, I'm banished from your sight, up goes his desperate plea. This is what we're like, isn't it? This is, this is, this is, this is, do, you, do you see a picture of your own heart uh, when, when God starts to deal with you? So you might think it's a bit much, but in his deep trouble, Jonah discovers that the Lord is everywhere present. He's there even as he tumbles down to the bottom of the sea, even as the fish swallows him. He finds that the Lord's grace is to be found, even for those who are in there, right in the middle of their distress. Because that's where he is. And I'm sure many of us, many of us, I speak for myself anyway, many of us have known those desperate cries and times when we've fallen flat on our face spiritually speaking as it were we've made a complete mess of things in our relationship with the saviour and life tumbles in because it often does if you go into a path of disobedience like Jonah did then life can tumble in but it's then that we realise that the Lord the one we're trying to run from is the very one that we need to cry to for help as Jonah did. So I would exhort you to take heart if you're in any sort of bother, brought upon by your own disobedience, maybe or maybe not. Whatever trouble you're in, uh, remember Jonah's prayer and, and realise that in the midst of your failure, not to despair, but to pray. When my life was fitting away, he says in verse 7, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. This psalm then shows us how to pray in, in the midst of failure, even failure caused by disobedience, or maybe just lack of trust in the Lord. He's brought you into real difficulties, a place you didn't want to be, not through your own fault necessarily now, but you're in difficulty. It doesn't matter the reason the fact of the matter is you can call on God. You might even think, I don't know whether you, do you ever think like this, you might think um, God's cast you off. Do you ever get to that point where, where you think God has cast you off? You, the devil says to you, doesn't he? The devil comes and he says, and now you've gone too far this time. That, that's it. That's it. But the thing is, don't listen to him. Listen to Jonah and learn from his experience. For he cried and he was saved from drowning. He looked to the Lord, verse 4. And Jesus loves those kind of looks. 
I was thinking that the sort of look, I can remember one of our eldest daughter, I have to say that because Rachel was here, so I'm not talking about Rachel. Our eldest daughter, we were out for a walk one Sunday afternoon after church, we were out after lunch, out for a walk, and, and our daughter goes running off, and you're saying, don't run, you know, like they do, don't run off ahead. But they, off she goes, not take any notice, falls flat on her face, and really quite badly scrapes all her knees. You know what I mean? You get gravel in your knees, and that's terrible, isn't it? You get gravel in your knees, and, and they turn, and she turns around, and she gives you that look just before she bursts into tears. Sorry, get upset. <laughs> just before she bursts, and parents love that look, because, and that's what Jesus looks for in you. He looks for that look, that, that, that you will look to him. <coughs> And he longs to see it. Remember, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But those who turn and cry to him, they, they find this wonderful grace. How gracious is our God who waits to hear from us even in our times of failure. So this is great news. Jonah's on, his, on the right track as it was. But, but sadly, he's in a fish. So he's stuck. He's not on the beach yet. He's in the fish. His rebellion has been exposed, so fair enough. He cries to the Lord. He's saved from drowning. But this is wonderful. This is, when, I, when I started reading, I said, this is wonderful. Listen, in verse 9, he's, he praises the Lord. You might think, well, that's a bit previous, a bit premature, isn't it? He's still in the fish. But he praises the Lord. At last, we can say, he starts to think biblically. He starts to think like a believer. And I'm sure this, this must have been in his mind. Because as Jonah experiences the discipline of the Lord as he is trapped in this fish, this encourages his heart. For surely he would remember that whom the Lord disciplined, they're the ones he loves. You get that in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. The Lord loves those who he disciplines. And so he knows he's loved of God. And he starts to think rightly. So he says, But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. I have vowed and I will make good. And it comes in with this wonderful, wonderful expression. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Nowhere else. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And this brings us... As I said, this would bring us to the significance of the three days and three nights. And for that, we have to turn to the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was in discussion with the Jewish authorities, as he often was, and they were looking for a sign. And Jesus says to them in Matthew chapter 12, verse 39, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So as you read this book, as you read Jonah's book, does it ever come into your mind to think to yourself, in the early, especially in chapter one, you think, why did he bother with Jonah? Why, why not get somebody else to do the job, to, to, to do it properly? I think this is the reason, this is why he wants to be a sign. 
Jonah was to be a sign. No sign will be given, says Jesus, except the signs of prophet Jonah. Now, our Lord God, he is it's always a comforting thought to think that our Lord, he is both the planner and the writer of all of history. He planned it right from the beginning, from the word go. Before time and space existed, he planned what was going to take place. And this was part of his plan. He would have a sign to point to the unbelieving Jews of Jesus' day about the Saviour's work. So he's a sign. And the first way he's a sign, he's a, he's a sign of death followed by salvation, if you like, or death followed by resurrection. This was Jonah's experience, in a way. He dies, he goes to the depth, bottom of the sea, but he's revived again. And this teaches us of our Saviour's work. And we can say that God judged Jonah's life. Um, he, 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 um, he underwent death, even if it was figuratively. Some of the commentators actually think it, say that they thought he died. But whether it's figurative or real, God judged him because he says himself, from the depths of the grave, I called and you helped me and listened to my cry and you brought my life up from the pit. So there was death and resurrection pictured. And that's the sort of language that Peter used at Pentecost when he spoke of the Lord Jesus. God raised him from the dead, said Peter, from the agony of death, because you would not abandon me to the grave, he says. And that's quoting Psalm, Psalm 16. In both cases, the burial, um, the death and burial, I think the best way to put it, they, they were judicial. They, it was proper, it was right. God was just when he dealt with Jonah and he was just when he dealt with the Lord Jesus on the cross. With Jonah, it's, it's as it is with all of us. Um, sin deserves the punishment of God. God is pure, holy, perfect and can't even look at sin. Uh, so um, it's as, as it is with Jonah, so it is with all of us. That's what we deserve because we've all sinned and our sin provokes God. And being provoked as a holy God, he demands justice, demands punishment. So Jonah was punished out of God's sight. But so was our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ was, when our sins were placed upon him, he made this awful cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God wouldn't even look, even at his own son, when our sins were placed upon him. We, there's a song, and that's one is in our, our book, uh, The Father Turned His Face Away. He had to because he couldn't look at sin, and all our sins were placed upon the Lord Jesus. So Jonah was a sign, a picture of the, the, the Lord's dealing uh, with his own son. And second, Jonah was a sign. If you turn to the very last verse of, of Jonah's book, you see the reason why the Lord pursued Jonah to the point of death. This is the Lord speaking. He says, But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? 
It was the concern, it was the love, it was the grace of God that sent Jonah to preach to Nineveh that they might learn of the grace of God, that they might turn from their ways, that they may uh, repent and, and believe the Lord. And so it was wonderfully, you can say wonderfully, with our Lord Jesus Christ, for we, we read, as you know so well, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believed in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. It was the same love and concern and grace uh, that took Jonah, or that sent Jonah to Nineveh. And it was the same love that sent the Lord Jesus Christ into the world to save sinners. There's, if we can speak like this, God, acts, God, God hates the sin that Adam and Eve brought into this world by their disobedience. And he hates what he does to his people. He hates it and will do anything. And he, and he went to tremendous lengths to reverse all that the devil procured in Eden is now reversed by the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when he sees you on the run, like Jonah, when he sees you not paying attention to his word and ways, when he sees you like this, if I can speak like this, there's a sense in which it breaks his heart. Like the parent looking up at the child that's in trouble, it breaks your heart, and it breaks God's heart. He is so concerned. Now you may not—I don't know—I don't know how. It depends what you know of your own heart. Um, but I pray that God will show you, as He often does, showed us what we're really like. And you may not know. You may not realise what your disobedience does to the very heart of God. John says in his first letter, in chapter three. God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So even if you don't know, even if you haven't twigged, as it were, what, what it is God's, God's uh, trouble is with you, God knows everything. So we see Jonah is a sign in that way as well. And Jesus says, if we stay this way, if we stay in our disobedience, if we stay... Jonah, Jonah if you like, was cast into the sea. And that's a sign. But it's a sign, an awful sign. Because the Lord Jesus said, if we stay in our disobedience, we'll be cast into hell. Luke, Luke 12, verse 5. I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after killing the body, has power to cast you into hell. God took Jonah through all this for the salvation of the people of Nineveh. The Lord dealt with his son on the cross for the salvation of people like you and me. And a vast multitude that no man can number. So he was a sign. If, if there were time, we, <laughs> we, we, could, we could really um, look into uh, the sign of Jonah. But at least, I say, if I, I leave, leave four things, four signs, if you like, that we see in Jonah. True faith clings to the Lord even when we're in the trouble that the Lord brings upon us to awaken us. True faith offers a sacrifice of praise to God when, we're, when we recognise his hand of discipline. True faith shows us turning back to God because Jonah says, now I'll go and do what you call me to do. And true faith, finally, this is the wonderful verse, true faith in verse 9, Salvation comes from the Lord. There was no way 
that Jonah could have saved himself from the sea or the fish's belly. He was absolutely helpless and powerless. And so, in his, if you say, in his pathetic state, and it's the same with us in our pathetic state, um, he, he learns and he admits and he cries out, salvation belongs to the Lord. And when that happens, when we get to that point, when we're prepared to cast ourselves on God's mercy and cry that that's our only hope, we read, and the Lord commanded the fish, it vomited Jonah on the dry land. On the dry land. That's the, that's the ultimate objective, isn't it? I came across this quote in a little book I had uh, on the life of Jonah. And uh, You have to remember, this is an American, <coughs> not an English. When God speaks to the fish, instantly Jonah is transported to the, from the dark, dank belly of the fish to the brilliant beauty of the Riviera. The creature that had been a dungeon for him now becomes Jonah's free transport to the beach. And the fish drops him off at the seaside and Jonah basks in the pleasant beaches on the pleasant beaches of the Mediterranean. So he didn't know about the English Riviera, he was an American. But nevertheless, you know that you get that you get the point. The world, this world, can either be a bitter end, it can either be a dank, dark dungeon to you. But if you put your trust in the Lord Jesus, it can become the very shores of heaven. That's this world. The very shores of heaven. It will become to you like heaven on earth. But then, of course, ultimately, it will be heaven itself. For we, and then we can bask in the glory and the, of the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll finish with these words of the Lord Jesus. As he spoke of the men of Nineveh, because it, we need to bear this in mind. This is again in, in Matthew chapter 12. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now greater than Jonah is here. I pray that the men of Nineveh will not have cause to accuse us on that last day but rather the sign of Jonah will teach us that a salvation is of the Lord. I, um, I was looking through a few of Getty's songs on YouTube and I wanted to... Unfortunately, this, uh, there's, there's a song that... The first verse of the song really fits Jonah's experience. Um, but it's not in our, it's not in our book. So I've asked if we can if we can um, have it played, and we can either sit or stand and sing it if you know the words. I think the words come up on the on the on the clip. Um, uh, but um, I say I stand and sing it if you know it, or uh, stay seated. <laughs> 